And yeah, that really it assisted my college applications. It made my transcript look, uh, I would say, much more well-rounded than it would have um, because I'm a you know strong humanities and arts student. And yeah, I definitely think it had a, a great impact on my regular academics outside of test prep. With a, majority of test with a majority of colleges being test optional, a lot of students aren't taking the SAT or ACT test. I mean, it makes sense. It's a hard test. Why would someone put themselves through the stress of studying for it? But what's a little worrisome is that not only are less students taking these tests, and I mean like 700,000 students or more are not taking these tests, but their average composite score is decreasing as well. According to a recent report by the ACT.org, for the graduating class of 2022, their average composite score was the lowest it's been in the past 30 years. Now, whether or not this decrease in average composite score is an indication of a learning loss is still up for debate. There are a lot of factors that kind of play into this as well. It could be students are not studying for these tests. It could be, you know, the, the grades uh, or the classes that students get into. So it's a little complicated, but that's not really what we're here to talk about today because with the reality of test optional, parents and students are still left wondering, should my students still take this test? What are the benefits of it? And that's what we're gonna cover today. Hi, uh, yeah, my name is William Jackie and I, I work for Stripler and, and I work with a lot of students one-on-one -on -one and with families, uh, advising them on preparing for college. And so that, you know, the standardized testing is a big topic that comes up a lot. So it's something I have a lot of conversations about, you know, pretty much every day. I think the biggest thing to be aware of is just how colleges are using test scores. And that's somewhere up to like 80 or 90% of colleges during, you know, during 2020 and 2021, we're not requiring students to submit test scores because of the difficulty of actually being able to do a test sitting, you know. Um, now, we're starting to get, and that's kind of maintained, you know, for in a lot of ways since then. Like, it's still the case that the vast majority of colleges have a test optional policy where you are not required to submit an SAT or ACT score when you apply. If you do take the SAT or ACT and you get a test score that is average to above average, that college is statistics and their averages um it's a good idea to submit it if you take it and you get a lower score or if you're not able to take it at all or choose not to it's not penal you're not penalized for it your application is evaluated on the basis of everything else what we're starting to see is a is a slight trend towards some colleges going back to their older policies of requiring the sat or act for all students so just to give some specifics on that um the 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 region of the u.s that is most involved in in requiring tests again by far is the southeast and it's florida and georgia um most above all but those aren't the only reasons so i mean for example all of the public universities in florida um university of florida florida state uh, florida international aka fiu um University of South Florida, University of Central Florida, those are all requiring SAT or ACT scores. Uh, University of Georgia and Georgia Tech are also requiring test scores again. University of Tennessee, um, a big one for STEM students is MIT. MIT is 
has gone back to requiring SAT or ACT scores. Notably, a lot of the ultra rigorous Northeastern schools like the Ivy League uh, colleges are not requiring, are still test optional. Um, now, that could change for next year's group, which would be the current um, sophomores. So we don't know yet what the policy is going to be for for the following year. I think there's a decent chance that more colleges will be requiring it again. But as of now, it's mostly the ones I named. Uh, Purdue is another one that, that Shawnee mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago before we started recording that is requiring scores again. Um, so, you know, what that means for students is it's – you know, it's important to be aware of the colleges you're applying to and what their policy is. Um, you know, I think that not, again, not every student is going to need to take or submit SAT and ACT scores. It really depends on where you apply. The The counter example is the California public universities, the UC, University of California campuses, and the California state universities um, are all test-free, which is not even optional. It's like they won't consider scores as part of your application. So they're just really serious about, you know, don't send it. We don't want it. We're not going to look at it. Like if you're a California resident and, or, you know, someone who lives out of California and is very determined to go to college, you know, in California, there are a lot of, you know, private universities that are test optional uh, where you can still submit an SAT or ACT like USC, like Stanford, like uh, Chapman, Occidental College. But the public schools are all test free. So uh, if if you're a student and you're determined to only go to a Cal State or a UC, the only reason you would take the SAT or ACT is to be used for course placement um, to determine your starting level English and math course. That's the only thing they will use it for. So, uh, Got it. I know we recently had a student who they're in their senior year and they had to found out that they had to get a certain uh, ACT or SAT score before they could be accepted into the college? Um, she needed like an official test score on file and they gave her like a, you know, a specific score to reach, like a cutoff score, a minimum. So, you know, the that's a little bit of a hassle like to deal with in spring. Like that's not something a senior should have to rush on. Like they gave her basically one more test date when she could do it and it's in February, you know, so Ideally, you want some time to be able to study in a sustained period of time rather than trying to cram. That's that's what research has shown. That's what our experience with test prep has shown is that trying to cram and just, you know, do everything in a short amount of time, it's going to stress you out and it doesn't work. You're not going to retain as much and you're not going to have integrated strategy as much, you know, in terms of how the approach that you have to test taking. Whereas if you can spread it out and do a little bit at a time, like one or two hours a week over a period of several months, that's going to have a lot more impact in your your ability to increase your score and improve on what your initial baseline score was. So, you know. How do you avoid a situation like that? Well, I think it's just being aware and doing research into the colleges that you want to apply to as you're working on building your list of colleges, you know, making the decision of where do I want to apply to. Um, uh, which kind of students should look into taking the test SAT versus not taking the SAT? The type of student who should think about taking the SAT or ACT would definitely be students who test well traditionally, students who are good at time tests, multiple choice tests, you know, um, because it could be a, what is, what's the phrase, a feather in your quill. You know, it could be just another thing that kind of supports your application profile, demonstrates your college readiness, demonstrates your academic skills. 
But not just that. So students who are obviously, you know, this should go without saying, but students who want to apply to any colleges that require test scores should definitely test. Um, students who are hoping for or counting on good scholarships and financial aid options should take the SAT or ACT because it's not a guarantee, but if you take it and you get a good score, that can potentially help you to get more scholarships or get a higher dollar value on your merit scholarships to colleges. True. Um, That's right. I forgot to totally consider the financial aid aspect that some scholarships require it or some colleges consider it when they're looking at your application. Yeah. Most colleges that are test optional, I've found, are still test optional for merit scholarships, meaning like you can still get merit scholarships without it, but it seems to only help like a lot of colleges use what use an index where it's like, you know, a, a graph where you have rows and columns and they cross check your GPA to your test score. So if you have like a 3.0 GPA, but like a really high SAT score, you can still get a really good merit scholarship. You know, so if you're a student with a GPA that's like in the low threes or even high twos, um, you're you're technically below the average of most incoming college students, but that doesn't mean you can't still get merit scholarships if you take the SAT or ACT, and that brings you up on the index. You know, so it can be a yeah, so it can really be a way to to get more financial aid. Um, and you know, I think it it really helps you to build time management. It kind of creates a little. Um, you, you know, it puts you in a in a in a sort of space where you are tracking your growth, you know, and so naturally that causes you to uh, adapt a growth mindset because you need to learn from your mistakes, you know. So if you're approaching test prep with a growth mindset, that I think is something that's going to train you for how to use that in all your studies, or at least like you might already be doing that, but it only helps you to to apply that attitude of, okay, I'm I don't need to be perfect. I just need to make improvement, you know, and I think that that's actually very relevant for these tests because it's almost impossible to be perfect. You know, it's like, these are not tests where you're shooting for a hundred percent. These are tests where you're shooting for like uh, 75, let's say, and that's a really good score. You know, if you get in the range of like 1200 to 1300 or higher, you know, that's, that's a really good score. So just knowing that you don't have to be perfect, you just have to make incremental improvements. I think practicing with that sort of mindset, like, like students tend to do for the SAT or ACT can really be helpful, you know, as you're preparing for college. So. So I'm going to pause this episode for a moment because I feel like this is the, the advice you hear from most college counselors. If you don't score pretty high in your baseline, you don't have to worry about taking these tests. There's other ways to show your achievements in your college application, which is totally true. However, I think that the act of preparing for these tests also do so much more for students than just a score increase. And so I'm going to play a little segment from last year's episode where our former podcast host and student, Lily, talks about her experience raising her test score from in the low 20s to breaking the 30s. I think in total, didn't you come up about 11 or 12 points or something like that? Yeah, it was a lot. I was in the low 20s. I can't remember which one for my composite score, I mean, and my composite score started, right? Yes. When I started my composite score. September of my senior year was a 32 instead. So yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. I remember it was at least 10 point increase, which, you know, I I just want that to sink in with, with our listeners, because a lot of students um, start between an 18 and a 21. Okay. That's an av that's average. I just want to say that an 18 on the ACT is average. 
I get so many students who come to me and are like, I want a 30. And I'm like, you do know that's <laughs> in the 95th percentile of the nation, right? It's somewhere around there, depending on the test. And they're like, oh, wow, what does that mean? It means that you are in the top 5% of all students in the nation. They're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, a 30 is a very high score. So if you start with an 18, please, please, please don't put yourself down for not being where maybe you want to be right? This is not, first of all, it's not who you are, nor is it where you will be, right? And then just know there, there are so many stories that are just like yours, Lily's, right? Uh, Lily, the, the idea of starting in the low 20s and ending up in uh, actually breaking into the 30s, it's totally possible. But I do want everyone who's listening to really hear what Lily said. How <laughs> long did you prep? Uh, more than a year, about a year and a half. Yeah. With a little bit of breaks in between. Right. Yeah. Um, but also some consistent studying. Um, the study I was talking about earlier um, did something really interesting. It looked at what is the timing of prep and how does it affect the scores? And they saw that basically for every month that you prep in junior year, you get a much higher score increase. So the earlier you start in junior year, so I'm talking like January start versus like a June start. So mm-hmm. at any month before June of junior year actually raises your test score significantly. Mm-hmm. So if you're kind of scared about it, but you're also scared about your APs, don't just wait till you have your APs and then start prep concurrently. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. start getting into it. Even if it's just an hour per week, just get started. Yeah. Block that time out. It will have a really beneficial effect. Even if you, if it's, you know, February right now, you know, you can't take your first test until June or July and you have a lot to do. That's fine. Piecemeal it, make it small, make it digestible, you know, do an hour a week, do a half hour a week. I don't really care. Um, (laughs) do something because it's not going to get easier by not doing it. And I I just think that that was so interesting about this study that, um, that you can really see for every month of studying before end of junior year, you saw a really significant increase in scoring. So I think that's really important. Um, and did you, did you self-study or did you, um, have a test prep tutor? What did you do, Lily? So I did a mix. I would say my main avenue for studying was my test prep tutor, um, Josh. And I met with Josh specifically to work on ACT math, uh, usually one to two times a week. Um, But Josh sent me home every week with a practice test or a practice section or a set of questions to work on. So I did a few hours of studying on top of my regular schoolwork and regular math um, every week. And, you know, disregarding the holiday break and like, I don't know, maybe Labor Day weekend. But um, yeah, it was pretty steady that entire time um, and a good mix of self-study and and working with Josh. Yeah. And you you took the test, you said four times, right? So I, I it wasn't like you got true. that. You didn't get that <laughs> no. score increase just between the first and the second, right? No, not at all. And it was um, none of them. I, I didn't go from like 22 to like 30. And then the next three tests were me getting from 30 to 32. Like it was, it was incremental each time and it just added up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that like slow and steady wins the race kind of mentality really does apply to these tests. (laughs) Do you have any, um, 
I want to say final advice for students who are beginning their kind of testing journey right now? Um, don't let the test define you. It really doesn't. It's, the test is not a measure of whether you're a good student. Um, it's not a measure of whether you're ready for college. I just want to say that because every score report you get, it says college <laughs> readiness benchmark, right? Yeah. It's so, so mean. It, yeah. <laughs> It really is. It's so discouraging when you're below it. You're like, well, but I feel ready. (laughs) Yes. So just know that. Take this test. Really take it as an opportunity to learn how to study long term. These tests are not opportunities in and of themselves to learn anything about yourself. But the studying you do for them, the preparation for them, that's what will really build a skill set for you that's going to be tremendously valuable in college and also for the rest of junior year and senior year. This is the first time where you have to come up with a long-term study plan. Even if you're working with a tutor, you're still responsible, right? For, for doing your homework, for doing all these things where it's not in a class. It's just you. It's, you know, everyone else does it differently and at different times. And you have to deal with that and you have to plan it out. And it's a really great way to learn that skill set. How can I study for a, you know, learn something along the way? And still, you may not have to take it if you are only applying to universities who are either test optional or test blind. However, if you can basically create a score that would show a strength that you're not showing anywhere else in your academics, then this is your opportunity, right? So you can apply to a test optional school with your test scores to really strengthen your application. Mm -hmm. But if you don't like your test scores after you've taken the test, you know, two times, three times, you're still not happy with it. You don't feel like it'll strengthen your application. Then you do not need to apply with it. So my big advice is do the whole test prep thing, you know, whether you do it on your own using resources like Khan Academy, wonderful SAT prep resources on there, all free, completely free, or working in a more personalized, specialized way with someone like uh, Strive to Learn Test Prep Tutor or any other organization. Regardless of how you do it, do it. You'll learn a lot of skills um, to really prepare you for college. And if at the end of it, you are not happy with your test score, then you can decide which university to submit it to or not submit it to. So you still have that opportunity. You don't need to decide that before you decide whether or not to take these tests and prepare for them. Just go, go for them, do your best, study hard for them. You will learn things that will benefit you tremendously in all other areas of your studies. Lily, I have a question for you. Um, What final advice would you give any student taking this test? Oh my God. Um, I guess my final advice at my sister is a, is a high school junior right now. And so it's something that has been on my mind recently um, as she kind of figures out how to wrangle this process. Um, I guess my final advice would be that this entire test journey is going to seem a lot less scary when you're on the other side of it. And like, that's true of a lot of things in life. But in my opinion, this is one of the most stark differences that I've experienced in life where between the the incredible, terrifying, monstrous image of what it is that you have to do, and then looking back at it and realizing it's really just this tiny thing that you get through by 
getting through it. <laughs> you just get through. Um, and it, it, I'm proud of the work that I put in over that time period to do that. Um, yeah, it doesn't do damage to you <laughs> to do it. I think that was one of my worries at the time was like, oh no, the stress of this and, and all of the pressure, um, and this is really going to, to hurt me. And, you know, there is a lot of stress, there is a lot of pressure, but it doesn't change you and has no impact on who you are. And it, it is something that you, you pass through and eventually it's all okay. <laughs> so I lied. That was not my last question to you. Um, okay. I would also love to know um, how it affected you to actually prepare for these tests over the course Ooh. of a year and study for them. Like what effect did it have on you? So, um, one kind of measurable effect that it had on me was, um, I went to a very small high school and we basically everyone in every grade takes, uh, this, that the math level for that grade. Um, there's no like AP math or, um, accelerated anything, um, until I believe 11th grade, um, junior. Yeah, that's right. Junior year. Um, and you can separate into kind of, you can decide, okay, well, I, I did really well in math this year. I've uh, scored high enough consistently that I can place into a higher level of math. I am generally not a strong math student and I have never been. Um, but I realized a couple of months into my junior year that I was doing like much better in my regular math classes than I had in the past. And I, I would credit that mostly to the fact that I had never had to do such rigorous and consistent math work outside of school before. Um, and nothing that had that much structure and, and, and kind of study skills built into it. And so I was able after my first semester of junior year to place into an advanced math class that only had five people in it besides me. And then in my senior year, I took calculus at my school, which is a fairly rare thing. Very few people wind up taking calculus at my school. But essentially, I wound up taking the highest level math class available at my high school. Um, and I, I would say that's probably directly because I had to do math for a year and a half that I would not have done otherwise. And to build my study skills and my ability to actually critically think about math. Um, and yeah, that really it assisted my college applications. It made my transcript look, uh, I would say, much more well-rounded than it would have um, because I'm a you know strong humanities and arts student. And yeah, I definitely think it had a, a great impact on my regular academics outside of test prep. And you actually just made me think of um, something that I also really wanna make sure our, our listeners know. So if you decide that, that all sounds really good. And you want to have all those benefits too, <laughs> instead of just stressing out about this test um, on your own. And you decide that you want to hire um, a test prep tutor, then I want to make sure that you keep in mind some things to ask them because there are great test prep tutors out there. There are mediocre ones and they're pretty terrible ones. And they all have different price tags. And some of them have horrendous price tags where it's like, okay, like, what are you really doing in that hour with me? I think that it's really important to ask any test prep tutor or test prep tutoring company that you're thinking about working with, how does the tutor or how do you, how do your test prep tutors um, gauge the learning style of the student and how do they, you know, mold the standardized tests ex 
experience to that student and that student's strengths and motivationals motivations. That's a really important one because you'll figure out, or do they make it personal? Because it is not one size fit all, fits all these tests, right? That's why they're hard because they are the same. And that's why everyone does differently on them because everyone has their own demons to face in this process. Also really asking them, what do you do to help build the student's confidence? Like, what are the aspects that you kind of focus on teaching? And hopefully active reading is one of the things that they will tell you. And I really recommend that you hire someone who also really focuses on study skills and on teaching you how to become independent in your studying. So ask them that. How are you going to make me an independent, like, well, or able to study well student? Ask them that. Because tutors who create dependency, that is not going to serve you well. You really want someone to work with you who will teach you how you can learn how to help yourself, right? That's the way that you can gain these skills that Lily was talking about. That's the way that you can gain a skill set that will really move you forward and that will carry you far beyond these tests. Because like our goal at Start to Learn, for example, is that having getting a really good test score is kind of like a byproduct of doing test prep. Like the goal of test prep is to really foster confidence, to foster study skills, to help you learn how you learn. You specifically, not not other people. Like what does your brain do and what helps your brain? (laughs) Um, And how to think critically. And I'm just going to say it again, confidence, how to be confident in yourself as a student. These tests can tear you down, but they don't have to. They can really build you up. So work with someone who knows that and who can give you some good answers to the questions that I just told you about, because then the SAT and the ACT can actually be a huge opportunity for you as a student instead of a huge hurdle. was from Lily and Josephine from last year's episode. I highly encourage you that you check it out. It's really a great resource about the differences between the SAT and the ACT test and gives you some really great timelines on when you should start studying. Now, The only thing left to cover is why should students consider taking the ACT with writing section? And for that, we'll head back to William. Um, Since the SAT phased out its essay portion, the ACT cannot really, the the ACT essay can't be required by any colleges. And and therefore, it's not something that every student needs to do. Um, In fact, probably most students don't really need to take it. I would say... Um, the type of student who might want to think about taking it at least once would be someone who can actually get some added value from, from taking it, which would be someone who's a pretty good writer or someone who, you know, wants to apply for the type of programs or majors where writing would be an important component of it. So like somebody who maybe wants to major in English or history or, uh, social sciences, um, any sort of field where like part of the communication. So, it, you know, students who are good writers, the, taking the ACT writing uh, portion, which is the essay that's optional, that can be a way to demonstrate writing ability. If you can take it and get an average to above average score, uh, it's basically persuasive argumentative writing. You take a position on an issue that they give you and support it with, you know, logic and examples. Uh, but it's all what's in your head. You can't use any outside research to support your point. So it's mostly about seeing if you if you understand, you know, logos, ethos, pathos, how to make a convincing case using multiple types of evidence and, you know, strong logic. Awesome. Thank you so much, William. I appreciate it. No problem. Always happy to uh, to help and and discuss these topics.
bombs of knowledge. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording now. Thanks for listening. As we continue to produce episodes of this podcast, you can follow along on our website, www.strivetolearn.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes, and don't forget to subscribe. We'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments, or DM us on Instagram at strivetolearntutoring. Get the latest updates on the college admissions world and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strivetolearn.com. Thanks for sticking around, and I'll see you next time.